olden days. You know, when you thought you could catch COVID from licking your groceries or maintaining eye contact for too long. Come on, we all did. A hyper-local election like next week's seems so quaint. Distant, even. After all, there was a mad king throwing tear gas just up Richmond Highway. The only thing, the only election, maybe even the end of the world, would be in November of 2020, right? Now that you've put away your beekeeper suit you used to wear to the grocery store and looked up from your kiddo's ACPS-issued Chromebook, it's just a few days until Alexandria's Democratic primary. Listen, maybe in other years you'd have figured out who to vote for by texting your friends in the know from inside the polling place or driving through the most liberal parts of town to see which candidate's yard signs were planted next to the Black Lives Matter ones and rainbow flags. Happy Pride! But this year, you listened to 15 episodes of a kind of super professional, totally journalistic podcast, and now you're the friend in the know. If you've noticed people slow rolling past your place on the way to the polls, we're your people. And this is our last candidate interview of the season. So join us. Democratic Social Club of Alexandria proudly presents Liberally Social, the podcast about who are all these one million candidates and which ones am I voting for? We get it and we're here to help. Listen as we take each candidate, not out, but in for drinks to discuss what on earth is happening. We want to be really transparent about our agenda. We want to help our fellow Alexandrians get to know local candidates like actually get to know them socially. And we want to hang out with our friends and have fun during a global pandemic. Well, you know, nerd fun. We're not journalists, but we are the kind of people who would have a podcast about city politics. So we know some of the candidates. We're a bunch of self-appointed badass women who are gonna throw ourselves some virtual parties, invite candidates, have great conversations, and record them all for you to listen to while you walk outside, maybe even with your mask off or unload and load your dishwasher again. Hopefully, it'll help you make some decisions when election day rolls around. So you see, what we're doing here is actually a public service. All right, let's all introduce ourselves so everyone knows who's at the pod party this afternoon. I'm Sandy Marks. Marta Schantz. And Fawn. And Elizabeth Bradley. And now let's raise our glasses to our guest of honor, candidate for mayor, Allison Silberberg. Welcome, Allison. Did that clink? I don't even know. It did clink. Clink. Um, (laughs) It's our party. Drinks are usually on us. We sent Allison over a a bottled margarita from Neighborhood Provisions um, because apparently we are day drinkers, but um, she'll drink it later because she's classy. One o'clock, I'm not having a real jam. Water. Y'all. This episode is different. We only have 30 minutes with Allison. It's crunch time, it's campaign season, it's less than a week until the election. So we've got 30 minutes, we're gonna try to make it count. We're gonna ask her all of the important questions, uh, but we're gonna have to do it in an abbreviated way. That means we're not gonna have a lot of time for follow-ups. There's gonna be stuff we're left wanting, but we're gonna do it. Um, And hopefully we're gonna do it in a way that mirrors uh, Justin's episode so that our listeners brilliant as they are, can compare the answers really easily. Yep, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so hi, Allison. What is a party without games? We're just going to jump right into the fun stuff, and I hope you're ready. 
We have here our list of essential questions for assessing a person's character. And the goal is to give as many answers as you can in just a few minutes. So short answers are perfectly fine. You got it? Yep. Okay, so here we go. What have you binge watched during COVID? Well, I certainly watched The Crown. Mm. I watched Ozark. <laughs> I watched um, Bloodline. Mm. And I watched probably a couple of other things. But I'm sensing things. So, so <laughs> what is your day job? I'm a writer. Mm. I focus on public policy. Awesome. Do you have any pets? No, I oh. don't. But I know... And you have a beautiful dog. And, um, <laughs> and a number of my friends have dogs that I uh, get to play with, but I really haven't had time to uh, really devote mm. a, a dog. But or, Yeah, she's she is so unimpressed with this podcast, let me tell you. Okay, Lulu, <laughs> you know, she'll, she'll beg for treats, but... I grew up with dogs and the family. Mm -hmm. I feel very strong. I love them. So. Allison, do you have a favorite local restaurant for takeout? A local, oh my gosh. Well, Atlantis was probably my mm. go-to place for mm -hmm. most things, but also I love Tempo. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I love, um, uh, uh, oh, there's so many restaurants, but I would say <laughs> Atlantis was one of my main favorites, but Tempo is certainly right up there. Absolutely. Okay. What is the last book you read or your favorite book? Well, there's uh, my favorite book of, well, that's a different book from what I just read, um, but uh, book club, we read uh, Cooking with Picasso recently. And, um, but uh, um, my favorite book of all time, or one of them absolutely is To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, right. yes. Classic. When is the last time that you flossed your teeth? <laughs> I... Lost it like two days ago. Oh, good. Okay. <gasps> she beat Justin. Every two days. So, what are your top three Jeopardy categories that you would just absolutely crush if you were playing Jeopardy? Ah, uh, um, uh, authors and mm -hmm. um, history. Mm -hmm. Um maybe geography. Excellent. Uh, okay. That's fancy. Um, what is your astrological sign or your Myers-Briggs type? Well, um, well, I'm Pisces, born in early March. That's easy. Um, <laughs> I, I'll just stick with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Also, and, for me, I would say uh, film. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm into that. <laughs> What was your very first job that you ever had? So going back to like pre-high school jobs? Yeah. Sure. Oh, well, that would be babysitting. Mm, okay. Mm. And I look at how far you I come. Yeah. I babysat for one family for five years. Wow. We're very okay. Oh, we there's time. time. That's our time. Good job. We got through a lot. Well, wait, did you have one more question? No, I actually have a whole list, but that, oh, okay. that's our time and we're okay. all good to go. Oh, good so, to go. Sandy, take it away. You dodged the never have I ever question. So <laughs> consider that a win. Okay. 
Are you ready for the hardest question? This is the hardest question because we know we only have you for a certain amount of time. So we want to be sure to get it in there. So the first question is a toughie, but we're just diving in. And in honor of this mayoral edition of Liberally Social, we've added a segment we're calling Mailbag. Mailbag. So you may know that I write a lot of political direct mail in real life, also a writer like you. Um, and so I want to ask you about the most recent piece of your direct mail that's hit our mailboxes, because in the home stretch of any campaign, a candidate really has to make their final case. And the closing mail can really be sort of a thesis statement. So Alison Silberberg, the cover of your latest mail piece, the headline surprised us. So let me read it. Here it is. We got it. It says, vote Alison Silberberg for mayor and keep school properties for our students, not for housing. So we wanna know what's up with this. To our knowledge, no one on school board or city council is promoting this. So can you talk a little bit about why this is the centerpiece? What do we need to know? Well, first of all, Sandy, I didn't know that that's what you do for a living. So that's great oh. to know. So that's really cool. Um, so, uh, well, yeah. So um, actually for the past two years, our current leadership, um, my opponent, has been talking and about and really advocating about putting uh, the consideration of putting housing on our limited school properties, whether that's MacArthur or George Mason or Minnie Howard. It's uh, been an ongoing conversation for about two years. And, um, and the school board voted um, not to put it at MacArthur, not to put it at Minnie Howard, and uh, just recently in the last few days, maybe two days, came out with a feasibility study regarding George Mason Elementary School and what that's going to look like. But they really, um, even the, the mayor said, you know, my opponent said in a recent debate on camera that he's not really ruling out the idea of putting housing on our school properties. I am, a, let's just be, let me just cut to the chase and give you a straight answer. That mayor also says this, but I am opposed to putting housing on our school properties. Our school properties are limited. Um, the school board clearly doesn't want to put housing there based upon what I've heard in their votes and their, what they've said publicly. Um, and um, our school properties need to be for our students to learn. So for their educational needs and for their recreational needs. But like, is anybody... We already I have a school capacity issue. Sorry, to say, oh, I just yeah. gonna say, we already have a school capacity mm -hmm. issue. So if, if you already are bursting out at the seams, why would you complicate the situation further and and put housing on school properties that need the land for the buildings and for recreational needs? And there was a meeting in October of 2019 uh, that that talked about this, where the, the mayor, you know, spoke about it. Um, and then also there was a, a slide that in the uh, on ACPS's web website regarding um, uh, putting a, a building, a multifamily building, a 60 unit building, um, thousand square foot units on the George Mason school campus. Now I've been around, you've been around, we all know that no consultant, no drafts person is going to put into a slide deck something that isn't already uh, discussed at the highest levels. But, but, just so, but so that so that's actually kind of like the crux of oh sorry Marta. Well that, Marta. that's sort of the crux of my question is is that you know as a writer like I often give um campaigns like 15 options and then they choose what they show the candidate, right? So I can see how a slide 
from a consultant would get in and I've called school board members. Cause like my friends at George Mason are like, what? We're not, you know, this is crazy. Um, and the, the people I've spoken to are all like, we're not doing that. It was, it was a mistake. Like no one wants this. This isn't a thing. We don't understand why it's becoming a thing. But you okay, know, you're but, saying it's like happening. I don't know. It feels well. But let me just be clear: the the mayor has said that it's an opportunity we should explore. Housing is an opportunity we should explore. Those are his words. So I can only go by what is stated publicly, like all of you. Mm-hmm. I'm a private citizen. Um, I just think we should be transparent and clear and truthful. And actually, it's not like giving 15 options, like what you just said, Sandy. That's that would be different if that's what the case were. But that's not what it is. Frankly, it's not that it's it's that it was in a, a slide deck regarding George Mason build out, redo, renovation, whatever. So, but the point is, is that the mayor yeah, has like an architectural done. consultant, yeah. But it's even said that um, they didn't show fifteen options; they showed the building on the land. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, there's a picture of it. People have it. I'm not the only one. Somebody showed it to me, but now it then was taken down. But it's just a you know, for the mayor to say uh, housing is an opportunity we should explore. Uh, all, you know, this is not a, a NIMBY question at all. It's we're, we're, we're a community that embraces affordable housing, but our schools need the land for the children to learn on. And by the way, we're rebuilding MacArthur right now. We just broke ground. The city just broke ground. Uh, they've approved one school and they're building, um, uh, just started to build that school at this point. In my term, we had approved and we're almost done building two. By the end of my term, we'd approved and built two schools on the West End, Patrick Henry and Ferdinand T. Day. And we approved and built uh, the new wing at John Adams, all on the way. All right. Well, this is this is the perfect segue into uh, the policy corners of our podcast, which are kind of like the favorite part of a party where you go into deep conversations in the corner of the room. No, because it's Alexandria. That's what we do. So, yeah. So, There's a water bottle. These, Allison's got her water bottle. Of course. So, in the four corners of the party we're having, we'll be talking about climate, structural and institutional racism, the cost of living, kind of ties to that affordable housing point you mentioned earlier, Allison, and of course, COVID. So, let's start with my favorite topic in the climate corner. So, if possible, do you have any plants nearby that you could show us? Yes, I, I do. I actually, yes. hold on one second. Mm-hmm. I love it when they have plants. Oh, this it's so nice. Rosemary. It was dripping a little, so I stuck it in something. Oh, so it smells but good. It's, oh, rosemary, and it smells great. Um, so I love to use it for cooking, um, and it obviously grows well, and it's uh, sustainability oriented and uh, I buy it at the store. I have it in my, in my home. Look at Elizabeth and Marta. They love the yeah, environment. We- All right. <laughs> so what it, so that is delightful. I also have rosemary in my front yard. And so that makes me happy. Right. Um, more, more wonky. Let's get, uh, when it comes to carbon emissions in our city, the city council has unanimously passed a, a climate emergency resolution. City council updated or passed an updated environmental action plan with the goals to reduce carbon emissions 50% by FY30, 80 to 100% by FY50. How are we going to reduce carbon emissions in our city? Well, first of all, I'm in total support of the environmental uh, action plan. Um, we, during my term as mayor, we, from 2016 through 18, we approved unanimously the first part of the environmental action plan 
And now the second part as planned came forward during the current term. So, um, and I'm in support, absolutely. Um, one of the biggest ways that we can uh, improve our air, of course, is tree canopy, right? So when I was mayor, I got into office and I asked how many trees we were planting per year. And it was only 200 across the city. And we quintupled that to over a thousand trees planted per year across our city. Um, I don't think that's been um, ongoing, frankly, is what I've heard. So that's unfortunate. If I'm elected, I will uh, definitely uh, emphasize this. Uh, tree canopy is important, not just for beauty, but for our, I mean, look at climate change, right, Marta, that, that um, when it rains, we have these sewage and stormwater flooding issues. When we have these intense rains, we need to be focused on um, the trees. A mature tree can take out 11,000 gallons of water per year. So it doesn't go through our system. Um, but as far as gas emissions, absolutely um, anything that, that we can be doing, but it's, um, it's a wide spectrum of issues, but the EAP part two is, is tremendous. And, um, and I'm glad that we focused on it. Of course, electric cars um, are um, a great way to go. And we're seeing those more and more on the road and we need to make it easier for people to recharge. Um, that's something that's national. Um, okay. and, and of course, um, I was one of the early supporters of closing the Genon plant that Paul Hertel mm. and Elizabeth Cimento and other grassroots uh, leaders were pushing for. Awesome. Well, because we're short on time, I could talk about this forever, but I'm going to move you on to the next corner to chat with Elizabeth. All right, it's my turn. Welcome to my corner where we are talking about structural and institutional racism here in Alexandria. Um, I'd love to know what have you done personally to understand the history of systemic racism and white supremacy in Alexandria? Well, first of all, um, most of my adult life has been focused on um, uh, not only public service, but in particular social justice work. Um, so that's number one. But number two is I, I've been an active listener. I've reached out to the African-American community here for many years and heard their stories of how, uh, what went on back in the day. Ferdinand T. Day, um, who was a close friend of mine, uh, told me how he, uh, as an eighth grader, um, had to uh, go to DC after eighth grade to finish his high school education because Alexandria didn't offer that opportunity for African-American children. It's, it's atrocious when you hear it straight from people. And um, Mr. Day was an amazing leader and he ended up serving on our school board and was really quite a leader. And I'm so proud that we named a school after him during my term as mayor. And, um, but further, um, we also, you know, if you listen to the African-American community um, who have seen so many horrible things that our city tragically have done to them, stealing their land, threatening them and taking their land at Fort Worth Park, stealing or taking their land at, um, um, at uh, TC, near where TC Williams is now. Um, really unbelievable cruelty. Uh, these families had their homes and their land for up to 150 years. Um, and the city showed up one day and basically threatened ex to exercise eminent domain and to take their land. And the city ended up buying only their homes and their land was very large around their homes. The city never paid for their land around their homes. This should concern all of us. The city stole their land. They didn't basically steal their land, they stole their land. 
And so um, you can imagine these legacies of um, segregation and, and racism in our midst. And so um, as mayor, um, I, since Elizabeth, I just wanna answer your question. As mayor, I closely, um, I worked closely with the, um, the Urban League to ensure that they're building the um, Armfield, uh, sorry, Franklin and Armfield Slave Trading Building on Duke Street wouldn't fall into private developer hands. That um, We worked closely. We, we did all kinds of um, breakthrough things to help them. And, and of course, I recently, I, I've completely supported the Black History Museum and recently donated um, photographs that I took at the marches last summer. Um, and so they have an exhibit related to the one year anniversary of the regarding the murder of George Floyd and the protests that followed. During my term as mayor, we uh, voted unanimously to create an office for racial and social equity, the racial and social equity office. And, um, and I'm very proud of that and that we had determined to hire someone as a racial and social equity officer, uh, the director of that office. Um, and um, we need to continue. Of course, I also initiated and drafted our city statement on inclusiveness, the opening line that we're a city of kindness and compassion. It's posted all across the city. We're not just a city that's tolerant, but a city that's embracing and accepting and that we denounce all forms of discrimination. That's great. All right. No, oh, you're next. Sandy, you're up. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, in this corner, we want to talk about the cost of living in Alexandria. So I'll just cut right to the chase and ask, what are the biggest roadblocks in the way of your vision for affordable housing in Alexandria and how do we navigate around them? Well, this is a really important question and liquidity is the largest obstacle, Sandy, um, to creating affordable and workforce housing. Um, so as mayor, I'm very proud that we uh, voted and I pushed for uh, this, that we voted for a, um, uh, a dedicated, an increase in our dedicated funding for the city's affordable housing fund. The city's affordable housing fund, the dedicated funding for it had existed for probably 10 years, but there were those who, um, sorry, my phone's going off, hang on, sorry. Um, I, we get it, it's a busy time right yeah, now. No, no, I silenced it, but it's still just going off. So, um, Long story short, so we, we in a historic visionary uh, way uh, vote, we tripled the dedicated funding for the affordable housing fund. And it was a split vote, four, three vote. My opponent actually voted against it. He was totally opposed to it. In fact, he wanted to zero out, kill all the dedicated funding for the affordable housing fund. This is the most important thing. I served on the regions, um, the Council of Government's Regional Housing Task Force. The issue all comes down to liquidity. And, and I'm really proud that we tripled the dedicated funding for the affordable housing fund. And if we had zeroed it out, we would have been really way, way behind the uh, eight ball. And we have, to look at, we have to look at ways to preserve and protect the existing affordable housing um, stock that we have, like AHDC has done at Lacey Court. Um, AHDC is you know, creating some really good pro uh, projects. Um, uh, but anyway, I know you're you're sort of. <laughs> you know, we're trying we're trying hard. We're trying to get you get you on your schedule. Okay. All yeah. right. So thank you. You're almost around the room, and you're up. Okay. So the last corner is the COVID corner, and Alexandria's COVID response has been widely praised. Is there anything that you would have done differently? 
Well, I think that the Alexandria um, Health Department um, really showed great or outstanding leadership. Um, of course, they're taking direction from the state or the, really the Commonwealth of Virginia, I should say. Um, and um, and so the the response uh, between the Commonwealth of Virginia and AHD or Alexandria Health Department really should be praised. But there was some confusion, understandably, because they had to pivot very quickly uh, at the beginning as to who was getting called and where they were in the line, et cetera. But um, I would praise them. I really want to praise um, you know the businesses that were able to uh, pivot quickly. Um, and as the nonprofits as well, and you know, I was serving on uh, nonprofit boards. Uh, uh, one, the Friends of the Alexandria Mental Health Center, we pivoted. Uh, obviously, mental health is a big challenge, especially during COVID. But also, uh, community lodgings um, and um, the Alexandria Community Alliance were really ramping up quickly to get people food. No paperwork, uh, just uh, non-contact. Um, drop off of food, diapers and cleaning supplies. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think I wish we had done differently is that I wish I saw like, well, all of us saw huge crowds um, dead at the lower King Street area. And uh, I wish that um, uh, that we could have put into place the mask order sooner than October um, uh, for you know being outdoors. Um, people without masks, without social distancing. It's been a harrowing year. Um, my heart goes out to all the families directly affected, but all of us are affected, but it's all the illness and death. It's, it's been a shocking time. And mm -hmm. so it's very sobering. And of course, let me just pivot for one more second and say, think about, I'm glad for all the businesses that did survive, but for all, it, there are businesses across the city that also needed help. Um, like Atlantis, et cetera. And I'm still you know, deeply concerned about that. And there are other businesses, but the city um, didn't, um, could, I just feel it could have done even more with the Bradley Center um, reaching out to push for sidewalk seating. Well, in terms of our policy questions, you've made it all through all four in record time. Um, Elizabeth's got our last question. Great. Oh. Hi. All right. Thank you so much. And, and this can be a quick one, but um, we wanted to ask you about endorsements um, and give you an opportunity to share the endorsements that you're most proud of. Um, and also have a question from some of our listeners have noticed your yard sides in Republican yards next to Republican council candidate Daryl Nirenberg, um, which is understandably a little confusing for them. So can you also explain what's going on there? Yeah. Clear it up. Let's clear it up for everyone. Well, first of all, I don't have any control over what uh, people put in their yards. I, I know you all think that candidates do, but, uh, but whatever. But um, um, the fact is, is that this is a democratic primary. It's an open primary. Uh, anyone can vote regardless of party. I'm a lifelong Democrat. Um, I've, I interned for Senator Ted Kennedy and worked for Senator Benson. I've worked for countless Democrats um, uh, to get them elected. But the fact is, is that, um, you know, it says, big bold letters, Democrat on my signs. And um, uh, I think uh, in the basically seven or eight days, right after I announced, as soon as we got the yard signs in, um, we made them and within seven days, about 800 signs flew out the door. We had to order more, 
we've uh, delivered over 1200, maybe 1300 signs to people's yards across the city. So um, I, I'm not gonna, you know, even entertain that. Um, my opponent's largest donor is, is a Republican. Um, it's, it's a free country, you know, uh, uh, he's actually, um, uh, it's, it, you know, he wants to have a say in the local government. So um, um, he's also given to me now. Uh, he has, uh, um, you know, he was uh, my opponent's largest donor and he's now given to me. So as far as endorsements, um, I'm proud of being endorsed by the local police union, the um, uh, police benevolent uh, union um, um, or association, PBA, police benevolent, I always have a hard time saying that, association. Uh, it's already been a long day. Um, and I welcome their support. And I've always felt that the most important endorsement really comes from um, our voters, our residents, the people of our city, uh, yes. right? And mm -hmm. um, but um, I don't take contributions, uh, by the way, uh, any from developers or those bringing business before the city. Um, uh, my opponent's taken uh, thousands of dollars for years from developers and those bringing business before the city. I'm also really proud of the endorsement from the Environmental Council of Alexandria, ECA, made up of local residents as well as um, environmentalists and scientists. So um, my position on Taylor Run is clear. I wanna save the forests of Taylor Run, Strawberry Run and Lucky Run. Uh, my opponent supports the city's plan, which would bulldoze, um, basically create you know, meadows. All right. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. We are sorry we can't have you longer, but are so glad that you were able to, to give us 30 minutes of your time so close to primary day. It is campaign crunch time. Right, thank you. And I'm gonna, I'm going to drink the margarita um, at the end of the day when I'm <laughs> indoors day drinking, <laughs> especially on the campaign. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the Thank Gosh, you. you guys have such different approaches to campaigning. This is just so fascinating. Thank you for, for joining us. You've given us a lot of things to look into. And we're going to make those fact checks and put them in our show notes. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Appreciate it. So with that, it's time to turn the lights up and the music down as our podcast party comes to a close. Instead of saying, see you next time, I'll invite everyone to our Facebook Live event on Friday night at 8 p.m. Now that we've interviewed all of the city council candidates and the mayoral candidates, we know you've got questions. So ask us anything. See you there. has been another episode of Liberally Social, brought to you by the Democratic Social Club of Alexandria. We'd like to thank our guest tonight, Allison Silberberg for mayor. You can learn more on her website, allisonforalexandria.com, and we'll put an Act Blue link in our show notes so you can donate if you'd like. Remember, early voting is ongoing, and the Democratic primary itself is June 8th. Join the Democratic Social Club on Facebook or on Instagram at DemSocialALX for more information about the Liberally Social podcast. The creative and manual labor that's making Liberally Social happen has been and is being done by Sandy Marks, Marta Schantz, Kristen Weber, Anne Fawn, Elizabeth Bradley, Rashmi Papu, Ron K. Hughes, Joy Pocatella, and Anna Yeager. 
before we leave for good, we want to invite you to join us on Friday night, June 4th at 8 p.m. on the Dem Social Facebook page for a live event with all the hosts I just mentioned. We've spent 15 hours with these candidates, so now's your chance to ask us anything. See you there. Thank you.